It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we've got plenty to be getting our teeth into. We're going to start off by discussing Alexander Lacazette and the reports that Arsenal are planning to offer him a one-year contract extension. Joining me to chew through all the fat and to discuss the general situation at Arsenal is the brilliant Pet Barisha from the State of Play podcast. Pet, welcome to the show, mate. Your first time. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, very well. Thanks for having me, Harry. No, the pleasure is all mine, my friend. The pleasure is all mine. So uh, without further ado, let's get stuck into it because there have been reports uh, and the report was broken by Chris Wheatley of Football.London yesterday that Arsenal are planning or are expected, was the term he used, to offer Alexander Lacazette a one-year contract extension. Now, with regards to Alex Lacazette, we know that his current deal comes to an end at the end of next season. So he still does have a year left. But Arsenal have, um, you know, repeatedly, Pet, uh, failed to secure the futures of their assets, failed to do what was necessary, and as a consequence, lost out on vital transfer revenue. Um, so first of all, where are you on Alexander Lacazette? Is he somebody that you think we should hold on to? Is he somebody that still has a role to play uh, in Mikel Arteta's rebuild? I think I'm quite on the fence on this one, to be honest with you, Harry. Um, it's a bit strange that he's had his best ever season in an Arsenal shirt after last season, kind of having probably one of his worst, right? Um, a lot of people said that he was kind of physically done, even earlier this season, right? At the beginning of the season, I remember listening to a load of the podcast, a load of Twitter. I, I kind of was of the opinion as well that he was looking like it was going to be his final season at Arsenal. And, um when we went into the 4-2-3-1 and Smith Rowe came into the team and then later Odegaard as well when he came in January, um, it, it looked like Lacazette suddenly became the pivotal piece in, in our attacking structure, which is uh, which is very interesting. Um, and I guess the type of striker he is, is is very difficult to replace if you think about how deep he drops. And weirdly, even though he isn't physically the best anymore, how often he gets into the box after dropping that deep. Um, it, it's a striker or type of profile of striker that Mikel Arteta clearly wants to build his team around or his attack, uh, attacking structure around, but it's quite difficult to find and replace. And I mean, if you look at the the players that we've been linked with, right? Odson Edouard, um, Moussa Dembele, I think there's a big gap between the good young strikers and the amazing young strikers, right? So if we look at the likes of Erling Haaland, who uh, you know is best number nine in the world for some and definitely the best under 23 number nine, um, it's very difficult to imagine Arsenal even being in the conversation for someone like that. So that would be a clear upgrade on Alexander Lacazette. Um, but someone like an Odson Edouard or a Moussa Dembele who have been recently linked with maybe aren't and they wouldn't be particularly cheap um, and they may not be the same profile of player. So I guess when you look at the options there, 
um, the fact that Nketiah is going to go, the fact that uh, Mikel Arteta places a lot of impetus on his quite experienced players. We've seen how important David Luiz has been for him. We've seen how important Granite Xhaka has been for him. We've seen how important Aubameyang and Lacazette have been for him at points of the season. I feel like, for me, the encouragement I get for this from this is the reports aren't of a three-year deal, right? A new three-year, four-year deal or whatever, which in the past Arsenal might have panicked and done. But I think in this situation where Alex Lacazette's options maybe are uh, a team like Roma or a team like Lyon going back and replacing Memphis Depay, who looks like he's going to be going to Barcelona this summer, I think he might be thinking, well, if I stay another year and then go next summer, um, it, it might be for the best for everyone. So, you know, he he kind of gets to carry on, hopefully in the same vein of form for the next year. Um, we get to give Balagoon some minutes as he beds in. By the time we're at next season, we're in a situation where Bamiang and Lacazette would be in the final year of their contracts, correct? So um, then we would have seen whether or not Balagoon has, you know, progressed how we all hope as Arsenal fans he progresses. And I think that makes more sense to be in a position then where you make a decision on both those senior strikers and maybe bring in someone who is a number one and have Balagoon as the two if he has gained that experience and, and looks like he can do it at the top level. Um, that kind of makes sense to me. I think the, the last thing I'll say, Harry, before you, you know, maybe ask some some other questions or we talk about uh, Lacazette a bit more, um, Arsenal need a load of players and a load of positions, right? Uh, even players that we weren't expected to, to see leaving the door maybe halfway through the season, the likes of Bert Leno and, and Granit Xhaka are both in their final two years of their contract. So decisions are going to be made about players who have been pretty fundamental to Arsenal for the last two, three years and they're starting 11. Um, so I think we're going to have a big, big churn this summer, both in and out. Um, I think it's going to be very similar to January, but with more ins. And I, I think we are going to see a load of players go, you know, like we might need a first choice right back, a first choice centre back, a second choice left back, a first choice goalkeeper, two central midfielders, and maybe a forward, uh, and maybe a central attacking midfielder if Odegaard doesn't stay, right, if we don't keep him. So that's a lot of players. And if you kind of look at it and think, well, how often do teams bring in like eight players and then their next season is like a, a, a rampant success? It doesn't always work like that. You need some longevity. You need some players who have kind of who can kind of carry you through that, that transitional period. Um, you know, if you go to uh, go back to Man City and you had the likes of, um, James Milner, for example, who came in really early, um, who weren't the superstars, but were able to kind of be that continual part of the puzzle. Even Joe Hart, for example, that continual part of the puzzle until Man City were ready. And I think with Arsenal, we're at a stage now where one transfer window isn't going to fix the mess that we're in. Um, whether we believe in the kind of senior leadership at the, at the club, we're not. This isn't going to be a summer reset and then bang, we're back into the top four or whatever. This is going to take like two, three, four transfer windows, and I think it probably the work started in January, right? We got rid of a a lot of deadwood, whether we paid them to go or not. Um, we got that money off off the balance sheet from a wage perspective, and we're going to have to do the same for summer with a load of other players and hopefully get money for them this time instead of paying them to leave and replace them with kind of good young players uh, or youngish players who can come in um, at not ridiculous wages and perform to a better level than the likes of Danny Ceballos, than the likes of Hector yeah. Bellerin. So that that's where I think we're at from, from a summer perspective and from a Lacazette perspective. If, if you know, we think giving him an extension and giving a Callum Chambers another deal means that we might not have to buy two right backs in the summer 
and we might not have to buy another forward and we can concentrate on the centre-half issue, the central midfield issue, the central attacking midfield issue, the backup left-back issue, which has clearly become a big one considering Granite Xhaka played there for like four or five weeks. <laughs> um, I, I think it kind of makes decent sense, uh, the Lacazette extension. I think there's two sides to this. I think when you look at the Alexander Lacazette situation, the first thing you've got to think about is he's going into the last year of his contract. Something needs to be done one way or the other. You either need to make the decision to actively seek to move Alexander Lacazette on and recuperate whatever funds you can. Because let's not forget that whilst his Arsenal career has been quite up and down, we did spend just shy of £50 million on Alexander Lacazette. There was a significant investment made in that player and Arsenal cannot afford to allow him to walk out the door for free at the end of next season. So we're at a crossroads. We're at a point where a decision one way or the other needs to be made. Now, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it offering him this one-year contract extension. What does it do? It means we've got him for a bit longer, but it just prolongs the decision. It kicks the can down the road a little bit, meaning that we're not going to lose him for free um, at the end of next season even if we take the decision by then that, that he's not the right man. The other side to this is Alexander Lacazette's side, which is, if I'm Alexander Lacazette, I'm turning 30 later this month. Will I feel at this stage in my career that I need a three-year contract somewhere? And so whilst Arsenal are reportedly prepared to offer Alexander Lacazette this additional year, which will mean he's got two seasons remaining on his contract, is it something that he's going to go for? I don't think we can take for granted that Alexander Lacazette will absolutely 100% say, yes, I'm happy to sign a one-year contract extension, particularly if there's interest from overseas. So that's another really key point. The other thing I'd say is, what is it going to cost Arsenal to replace Alexander Lacazette, to bring in a player who is of the same calibre, who can perform to the same level? It's going to cost a lot of money. And you mentioned the couple of options there that we've been linked with, Odson Edouard and, of course, uh, Moussa Dembele. And I look at those two players and I've got question marks over both. I look at Edouard and I think I like his profile. I like the fact that he is big, he's physical, also technically gifted, knows where the back of the net is. And he's almost a bit of a hybrid between Aubameyang and Lacazette in the sense that he can run in behind like Aubameyang does and like Aubameyang likes to, but can also drop that little bit deeper and get involved in the play and can provide for others. Moussa Dembele is somebody I have liked in years gone by. I liked him at Celtic. I liked him when he moved uh, back to France with Lyon. I thought he had a good time there, but now he's on loan at Atletico Madrid. He hasn't played very many games. Injuries have been a problem for him. And you're looking at those players and you're going, well, with Edouard, you could probably get him for, what, 15 to 20 million pound based on the reports we're hearing. Not a major investment nowadays, but with Dembele, I think you're probably looking at a little bit more. The reports I read yesterday suggested that we're looking at about 25 million pounds. So it's going to cost Arsenal at least 20 million pounds to replace Lacazette with somebody who doesn't guarantee to come in and pick up where he's left off. So I think that the, the one-year extension probably on the balance of things does make sense. I can see a lot of you in the live chat disagree with that and, and see it as, you know, just kind of Arsenal avoiding actually doing what's necessary. But as Pet said, you've got to be aware that this, this work that needs to be done in the transfer window, it's not going to happen overnight. Arsenal are not Chelsea. Arsenal are not Manchester City. We're not going to go 
and spend in excess of two hundred million pounds in one transfer window. It's just not going to happen. So when people say we're waiting for the club to back Mikel Arteta, I'm not defending the club, but they will not back Mikel Arteta in the way that some of you are hoping they will, because they simply cannot do it. The Cronkies are not going to put their hands in their pockets. They never have. What suggests that they're going to do it now? A few protests, they don't care. They're billionaires. They live in a different world. They do what they want to do, not what we want them to do. <laughs> and that's kind of the key point there. Um, before we move on, let me just quickly remind you guys that this podcast is currently brought to you uh, by Manscaped.com. We thank them for their very kind sponsorship. So if you are in need of addressing uh, that very important area, uh, especially with lockdown coming to its end, then head over to Manscaped.com for all your male grooming needs. If you enter our discount code, which is 19min20, you'll get 20% off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping. So check it out. Um, Pet, in general, there's been a lot of discussion about Mikel Arteta lately, mm. his suitability uh, to the managerial position at Arsenal. You've not been on before, so I'm interested to know what your views are on Mikel Arteta. For me, the Villarreal game was really difficult to take. I felt like I was at breaking point. Having defended him all season, that was kind of the straw that broke it, rather than the camels, the Harry's back. Um, but now, you know, I, I'm trying to be rational about it. I'm trying to be uh, objective about it. Where are you on the whole Arteta thing? What, is he the right man? Does he deserve more time? Or should Arsenal be looking to make a change? So just before we get into that, I think I just wanted to say one more thing about the Lacazette situation. We had a similar thing with, with Aubameyang, right? Where it was kind of like, what would it, you said, what would it cost to replace Aubameyang, right? And more often than not, a club will think, well, can we buy someone who's 25 who can replace that outfit? How much would that player cost? Probably, if you're looking at, like, look at Victor Osimhen, who went to Napoli, right? 60 million euros going up to 8 million euros. That's a lot of money. Arsenal don't have that money. And, you know, playing Aubameyang over three years for a club, from a financial perspective, is a, is a lot better. Um, you know, in terms of uh, moving that money across three years rather than paying it all in one upfront chunk. And, and the same thing is with Lacazette right now, right? You either pay 25 million now or you pay him for one extra year, which on your balance sheet looks um, a, a little better. I think one other player that's been linked is um, Ivan Tony, right, from Brentford. Uh, we've yeah. seen how good Ollie Watkins has been in the Premier League. And for me, I think that's the exact type of profile play of player we need, the Ollie Watkins type of wall up front that can allow you to break very quickly where we have these three in behind him who can kind of like get in behind and, and, and support him on the break and even in possession, um, hold up the ball very well. The issue with someone like Ivan Tony, for example, he's only played in the championship uh, or performed at the highest level in the championship. He would cost, knowing Brentford, 30 odd million. And he's actually 26 in March. So I, I, I've had a couple of conversations with mates. They're like, yeah, let's get Tony, let's get Tony. It's like, well, if you're looking at that from kind of an Arsenal perspective, it's a fairly dangerous bet to make, right? You're buying a guy for 30 million. You're probably putting him on decent money, right? Let's say 70, 80K a week. Um, probably giving him a four or five year deal. And he's 26 in March. There is a fair bit of downside there. Um, he's obviously, you know, his record in the championship this season has been absolutely phenomenal, right? Uh, I'm sure he wouldn't be a bust, but I think Arsenal have to be very, very careful with the kind of value for money they get. Onto the onto the Mikel Arteta thing. I, I want to take a very like zoomed out perspective of this, first of all. So over the last three or four years, Arsenal have basically gone through three exec management teams, right? 
So we've had the Venga Gazidis reign. We've then had the post Venga Gazidis, Raul, Husfami, uh, even Edu coming in at the end of that kind of reign. And now we've got this new uh, one that is being headed up clearly by Edu and um, Arteta since um, uh, since since Raul left. And we've got Dick Garlic. I think he started this week, right? Or is he starting on Monday? So he's going to be the, the um, head of football operations at, at Arsenal. Yeah. I think it's very difficult, forget about football clubs, it's very difficult for any company to be successful when you have churn at the exec level that frequently. So for me, I think we should kind of stick with what we have and see where we are in like 12 months from here um, because we do need some continuity at the, the top, right? And for me, I think making Arteta, I'm a, I'm a big Arteta fan, by the way, before I say this, I think making Arteta manager was a very strange and panic decision from the board. And the issue is the people that helped make that decision are no longer there. So it, you can kind of see the situation and the, the the bad, bad situation that Arsenal are in now where we have got people in power right now who are put in power by people that are no longer there. So when Josh Kroenke would have asked um, Raul what he thought of doing this about Arteta and Edu, Raul would have given him his, his advice and then a decision would have been made, but Raul is no longer there and neither is Hasfami and neither is even Gazidis and all these things have happened. Um, and now we're in a situation where we have Vinay, Arteta and Edu all very inexperienced in this situation. For me personally, you know, Dick Garlic, like I don't know exactly what his, his you know, director of football operations, we were discussing it on the, the Fresh Arsenal pod the other week that, um, it looks like it's going to be kind of a situation where Edu and Arteta say this is what we want and he goes and does it. But do we also need someone um, on top of Arteta and Edu who's kind of like a, a Ralph Ragnick type director of football who is going to actually try and paint the, the three to five year vision of Arsenal? Because at the moment, I feel like for a guy of Arteta's experience, the, the strain of being a, being having to kind of manage the day-to-day and the game-to-game and also looking at that kind of three, five years horizon is, is very difficult to do when you have no experience. For me, I think uh, we were absolutely horrific at the start of the season. If we look at the kind of data from uh, Boxing Day onwards, there has been signs of progress from a points per game perspective. We've, we've also seen, I think, flashes of games where you can see what he's trying to do. I mean, if you look at um, Wolves away, in the first yeah. half before we had the crazy red card. If you look at Leicester away, if you look at, I know West Brom are relegated, but West Brom away, we can kind of see the intricacy of the the attacking structure that he's trying to create. And I, I think it's kind of um, a mixture of not having the players that he wants to build this structure around and also a bit of inexperience from a coaching standpoint of actually trying to get the best out of the players that he has. So for me, I think we should just kind of continue with Arteta um, for the next kind of, I think he should get at least until kind of the term of the year. When we were under Unai Emery, I never really saw what was trying to be done under Arteta. I can kind of see that to a better extent. So for that alone and the kind of, I guess, turn that we've had since um, Boxing Day, I, I can kind of see where it's going. And also the issue we had under, say, Emery and Wenger, Wenger's latter years was, we were beating the smaller teams, um, but changing the culture to become a club that can win against the big teams is a lot harder to do than correcting a few things to beat Burnley at home. 
and Burnley away. Yeah. So for me, it feels like we are tweaks and small steps away from ch- challenging from the top four or being in those top five, six positions. Because at the moment, I kind of feel in a strange place because there are five squads in the Premier League that are clearly better than ours, right? Clearly, clearly better than Arsenal football clubs, right? If you look at Man City, we look at Chelsea, we look at United, we look at City and probably Leicester as well. Those five teams have pretty significantly better players than us at this, at this point in time. Okay, so which is, which is a big issue. Which let is, me play which one of the big issues. Let me play yeah. devil's advocate here then. Because you make a really compelling case for Mikel Arteta. And, and mm-hmm. listen, throughout the season, people that have watched or listened to this will know that I've I've kind of always been on his side. I've I've really been desperate to, you know, to see him succeed. And and I still want him to succeed, right? You know, I was bitterly disappointed by what happened in the Europa League, but we move. Um do you not think though, for all those good things you've said about Mikel Arteta that a more experienced manager gets more out of this group. I know that you've said that there are squads that are, are better than us, but our squad is not a mid table squad, is it? Surely? No, no. I, I think we have the seventh or eighth best squad around that area. I think between six and ninth, there are a few teams where there is like very little between them. And I think if you look at those teams, I think if we had a, a top, top class coach, Right. If we had a young clock Pep Guardiola, I think we would be pushing. We would be like in the top six, pushing top four. Right. In that kind of positions. I think there isn't that significant upgrade out there on the market at the moment. Um, And I think that we the other issue is right, Harry, is we have a manager, not a coach. So it feels like to me, if Arteta was going to go, do we then need to replace that person with two people? Um, and if we look at the quick turnaround we've got after the season, I think that the Premier League season starts on the 12th of August. The Euros finishes on the is it the 13th of July or something like that? Something like that, yeah. I, I feel like it is a very problematic uh, time for a football club to make a significant change and hope that it is better. Because I think, you know, the downside of being with another coach and it not working is going to be bad as well. Um, I, I, I've seen a lot, I think a couple of people mentoring into, in the comments, like Rafa Benitez, I just don't see the upside there. Like, I don't see the upside of having a Rafa Benitez type thing where the ceiling to him being a really, imagine if he's like very, very good for Arsenal, he takes this team into being like sixth place. For me, the upside there is, is, is fairly limited. I think it's smaller than the upside of having a slightly more unknown asset that might have potential like Arteta. So I prefer to be sticking with our guns rather than Rafa Benitez. Now, look, if someone says, oh, well, Brendan Rodgers is available, which I don't think he will be, and I think Leicester would command a fairly big fee for having getting a coach out of, out of Leicester like that, I think, you know, the board might look at it. Whether or not they have the the know-how, the skill, the, the strength to do that, I, I don't think so. But for me, I think we should be giving um, Arteta this kind of transfer window, this uh, preseason to see what happens, but then quickly and, and swiftly change things if we see that there is absolutely no progress by by 2022. But for me, bringing in Rafa Benitez for two years, like, do you build a squad with Rafa Benitez's, I, I, I like, we've... you know, uh, with his input when he when we know he's only going to be there for two years? It's very, uh, I don't know. It's, I think it's the, the, the worry for me, place. Pet, the worry for me is is this we seem to be falling further and further away from the top four, right? Yeah. Which is where we, we need to be. You know, it's funny because a few years ago, we were all turning our noses up at the 
the fact that we were just about making the top four and it was great. And, you know, people poked fun at us and, and we as fans were, were up in arms about it and suggested that the club had no ambition, et cetera, et cetera. And now we've fallen even further. We appreciate the importance of being in the top four and of being in the Champions League. I think in this situation, though, and I think probably why a lot of people are calling for somebody like Rafa Benitez is because in this current situation that we find ourselves, where we're falling further and further away, and we can talk about it every summer, you know, Mikel mm. Arteta needs to be backed. He's going to be back this summer. But is that backing ever going to be enough to compensate for the lack of experience and all the other issues that Mikel Arteta has struggled to deal with? Some of the issues that a more experienced coach may have experienced before, may have come across before, may have dealt with before. I just wonder if somebody like Rafa Benitez over a two-year period might stand a better chance of at least achieving our immediate target, which is to get back in the Champions League. I get that in the longer term, that's not the solution. And then the appointment that you make after that will have to be very, very shrewd. But I just think that where we're at now, we're pinning our hopes on, on somebody who isn't, it hasn't been there before, hasn't done it before. And whilst I think in the longer term, if you're given the time, he'll do well. Do we really have that time? And especially when all the time we're falling further and further behind. I think you make a good point there. I think what I'd say to not counter it, but kind of, uh, you know, my reaction to that would be, I don't think Rafa Benitez takes this squad any further than sixth. Like that's just genuinely my, my opinion. And I think if we look at the data since... Uh, Boxing Day, Arsenal are kind of like within the four, fifth best team in the league, right? So I think the board will look at that and say, if we can extrapolate that into next season, then we're going to be in for a chance of top four. Now, there are caveats to that. Liverpool won't be as bad as this next season. So I, I just, I do think that someone like Rafa coming in would also mean we would be giving all our eggs into basically Edu's basket on basically dictating... Uh, you know, the transfers we get in and out. Because at the moment, that's from what we understand. I think it's, it seems like a complex situation. But from what we understand, it looks like a Arteta X Edu type partnership in terms of deciding who comes in alongside the, the scouting staff. I would feel even worse about a situation where that is just Edu, who's, who's equally inexperienced. So I think we're in a bad situation. But I, I just wanted to bring it step, one step back. Like, I think no matter the coach, if we take a step back, the reason that Arsenal are in the situation isn't a singular, isn't just the players and it isn't just the coach. This is Agreed. this is the consequence of seven to eight years worth of bad decisions, right? If we go back to Wenger's final third of his reign, how, however much of it is his fault or not is something I don't think it's worth debating. But, you know, where we went from a situation of buying Mesut Ozil one summer where realistically we didn't need him, but it was nice. And then buying Alexis Sanchez the next summer where realistically we probably needed a centre-half, but cool, nice. We, you know, we sacrificed, uh, instead of doing a centre-half job, we, we kept with the likes of Koscielny and, and Mertesacki did a very good job for us. And then the next summer we just bought Peter Cech. That was like our only signing. Um from then on in, our transfer windows have basically steadily got worse and worse and worse until the final two or three, which have kind of gone from being two out of tens to like four out of tens, basically. <laughs> if you if if you're a club like Arsenal and a lot of fans call for us to spend money and spend loads of money, we're not good at spending money. We have spent a lot of money and we've spent it very badly. We spent over a hundred million pounds on Shkodran Mustafi, Granit Xhaka, and Lucas Perez, right? 
We spent 55 million on Lacassette, and in the January after, we spent 50 million pounds on Aubameyang. Both of those guys are on between 150k and 300k a week. The, 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 the way we've used our resources has been so, so poor over the last eight years. This is what happens when you do that. I was speaking on, on the state of play the other day. Like When you're a club, you're only two or three, four uh, decisions away from doing something very good because the average football club is very badly run. Let's take a look at Lille. They sell Nicola Pepe to us for 72 million. We probably got ripped off there. They go and buy Victor Osman. We definitely got ripped off. We definitely got ripped off there. We we go and buy we go they go and buy Victor Osman for twenty million euros. They sell him the next summer for between sixty and eighty million euros. They then go get Jonathan David for twenty million euros and get in Barack Yilmaz on a free, and they're going to win the league. You're only two or three decisions away from doing something very good with your football club. Liverpool, you sell Coutinho for one hundred sixty million. You buy Allison, Virgil Van Dijk, the best goalkeeper in the world, best centre back in the world. They turned out to be. So I think that if Arsenal make some good decisions, we can see our rise to the top very quickly. The reason why we're currently on this downward trajectory that I think you've mentioned, Harry, is because we spent so badly, right? We spent 20 million on someone like Berdeno and gave him 100k a week. It's not been an amazing signing. It's not been awful. But at least Berdeno, if he was to leave in the summer, we'd be able to recoup 50 million pounds and get 100k off our, our wage bill. Gwenduzi hasn't worked out. We bought it for 8 million. We're probably going to be able to sell him 50 million in the summer. Lucas Torreira, we bought it for 20 million. We're probably going to be able to sell him for 10 to 50 million pounds in the summer. It's not the worst thing in the world. Arsenal need to start making these low risk, high upside bets and spend big money where we're absolutely sure that it's going to work, right? The Allisons, yeah. the Virgil van Dykes of this world. Apart from that, we need to start making low-risk, high-upside bets. And, you know, we need to be smarter in the transfer window. We, you know, we've been linked with Sander Berg for £12 million. Cool. That would be a good signing as your third-choice central midfielder. He's young. He's Premier League proven. If it doesn't work out, you sell him in a couple of seasons for £15, £20 million. It's the worst that could happen. It's not like having Danny Ceballos on loan where there is literally no upside for us. We, you know, you look at players like Paxson Dacca. Uh, who is probably going to, to RB Leipzig, uh, Crispin Kunku. Um, there are a lot of players of the kind of age profile that I'd like to see us kind of target who would be low risk, high upside bets. And that's what I thought we started doing with William Saliba, right? We bought him for a lot of money, right? 30 million euros. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is he is so highly regarded around in France and worldwide by a lot of scouts that if we were to sell him this summer, which I don't think we would, I don't think we'd get under 20 million pounds for him. So we do need to look at that kind of model. And I think a lot yeah. of people are talking about City, right? People say most, most of City's 50 million pound purchases of work. That's from 28 Guy Happy. I think that's true, but they also have had some busts, right? Uh, Benjamin Mendy. Um, Nathan Ake has hardly kicked the ball this season. Yeah. Um, Ferran Torres has been decent. Um, you know, they've gone through three keepers before getting to Edison. Um, they have made some bad signings, but the fact of the matter is they don't spend, even with their budget, they don't go and spend £120 million on the player because they know the upside is limited compared to the downside. Whereas yeah. if you spend... And, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, and, and that model that you're talking about where you're you're taking low risks, but there's a potential for a high reward is essentially, and I know it was a different time, but it's essentially the way Arsene Wenger built this football club up yeah. to what it is today, to, to go out and find players in a market where people weren't, you know, looking necessarily at that time to take lowish risks and to bring those players in. And, and for all the great players Arsene Wenger signed, 
There were a bunch of duds as well. There were a load that came in that were absolutely yeah. useless and were bombed out within a couple of seasons. So I think you make a really, really good point that the, the whole model needs to change. It's just then I think if you're going to start shopping in that sort of lower market, and that's not no disrespect to those players, you know, if your scouting network is right and good and effective, you will still be competitive. But then I think in that sort of interim between shifting models, I think we probably as a fan base have to accept that we're not going to be punching right at the top of the Premier League table. And I don't think the fan base is willing to do that. Yeah, and I think maybe expectations do need to be calibrated, right? Because as I said, the squad we've got is not a top four squad. It's it's a hardly a top six squad. And I don't think many managers out there in the world get this squad into a top four. So for me, there is work to be done on the pitch. I'm not absolutely not absolving Arteta of that. I think there have been coaching performances a la Villarreal, a la Man City away, a la Liverpool at home, um, and a few others that have been really bad. I think there's been some bad luck as well with injuries and red cards. But I think for me, the way I see Arsenal getting back into those positions is more off the pitch than on the pitch. Because on the pitch, the the kind of calibration that's needed is basically beating quite shit sides at home. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> what we need to do to like get in. That's not the hardest thing for a coach to suss out. But when I look at what other teams are doing, like Leicester City being linked to Bibakar Samari from, from Lille for 20 million euros or so, those are the types of moves that Arsenal should be making. We've been linked to Berg and Yves Basuma. If we could get both of those in for under kind of 45 million pounds, I think that would be very good because suddenly you go from your quartet of midfielders being Party, Xhaka, Elneny and Ceballos to Party, Xhaka, Basuma and Berg and then maybe Aziz or Willock whatever happens there we have a lot of saleable assets that need to be sold recycled and then moved on and then you know there are loan options that we probably won't take on in the likes of well definitely Danny Ceballos and, and maybe Odegaard there is so much to do off the pitch to get this club where we need to be um that I think that is the priority for me and again look I think that we do need more help he needs more help and Edu, Edu needs more help at that kind of exec level to try and make us get back to that kind of those heights from an off the pitch standpoint because we have been one of the worst run clubs when it comes to that in terms of you know even going back to the Alexis Sanchez Mkhitaryan swap like who on earth made that decision was yeah. it Gazidis <laughs> was it Wenger etc like crazy crazy decisions after crazy decisions after crazy decision and then even recently you know um Raul uh with Pepe Raul with Willian, who I think Arteta has some blame there as well. Raul with uh, Cedric, um, giving his his mates agents contracts and stuff like that. Again, another really bad thing to do. There's you know a lot of speculation that he was brought in just to get us into the Europe, European Super League, which I don't know if I believe, but here we are. And then if you think about kind of like, um, if you even think about the Abamian contract, was it worth it to baseball? But Arsenal need to start kind of putting their foot down and just, kind of actually behaving like a big club again. I think something like a Lacazette extension has shown that we are no longer looking to give us or, or um, expose ourselves to massive downside of giving a 30-year-old on big wages a three-year, four-year deal. We need to stop doing that. We've learned from our massive, massive mistakes with mm -hmm. Willian, Cedric, Ozil, Aubameyang, etc., etc. We need to start being a lot smarter in, in the market, but I know I know we've only got sure. five minutes left, and I don't want to I don't want to keep uh, hogging the airwaves. <laughs> 
No problem at all. Uh, don't forget, guys, if you are watching us live at the moment, I can see there's over 200 of you watching us live right now. There'll be plenty more watching this back or listening to this back later on. So please do hit the like button if you are watching us via YouTube in particular. It really, really does help. It helps the channel grow and subscribe if you are new. Alternatively, if you'd like to become a member of the channel, you can also do so by clicking on the link in the description. And we'd love to have you guys on board. Uh, get your questions in the live chat. We've got a few minutes left, so we're going to pick up a couple of questions. Uh, we'll sort of just fire through them. So feel free uh, to drop in there what you'd like to see us discuss. Uh, big hello to those of you in the chat because there's plenty of you there as always. And we've got a question here from Alex McCarthy. He says, why give Arteta money pre-season and 10 games next season instead of starting from square one now? If it goes wrong and he gets sacked, then it's all gone to waste. And we have to start again mid-season. Alex makes a fair point there, Pet, because th this is my worry. You know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, for example, the, the Cronkies spending and, and backing backing Mikel Arteta up. But I would argue, and, and listen, I'm, I don't really know where I am on the Arteta <laughs> thing right now. I'm confused. But has he done enough? Just sort of briefly, has he done enough to to warrant? getting the big investment so far because you could certainly make a case that he hasn't you could you definitely could for me personally I think I've seen enough kind of on the pitch and then I think from the way he talks about Arsenal and what he wants to do off the pitch that feels like he can do something there my biggest issue is if we get rid of him and bring a coach in who is responsible for being part of that signing team I feel very uncomfortable with the the possibility of having like a Gus Hiddink, Rafa Benitez style transitional coach come in and gave, giving Edu the reins basically for two years and him spending the money. I feel like that is a worse situation than the one that we're in now. Now, look, what would be the ideal situation? Would it be having Arteta as a coach and having a Ralph Ragnick type director of football who can oversee a four, five, 10 year plan to get us back to where we need to be. Sure. But I don't think that's going to happen in the summer because he's the manager, not the coach and someone coming above him like that would probably mean not on paper, a demotion, but in terms of responsibility, some sort of demotion. So I feel like the whole structure we currently have isn't like a Chelsea one where we can just, move the coach a coach comes in and manages the team and that's all they have to worry about what we've decided to do rightly or wrongly and again the jury's out because we, we probably won't know until kind of six 12 months down the line whether we've made the right decision that Arteta is very integral to Arsenal off the pitch as well as on the pitch so I I would think that if we did something like that and sacked him it would be very difficult for us to it would be very difficult to, for me to kind of trust Edu with that money, if that makes sense, alone. Because that's yeah. what it would feel like, uh, really. No, it makes sense. Uh, Matt says, Arteta said weeks ago, I'll pick this one up. He says, Matt said weeks ago that the plan for summer transfers is set. But I'm reading now that KSE have informed him they're going to invest in three major signings. Was Arteta lying? I think, Matt, that Mikel Arteta probably would have had a shortlist drawn up of players that he'd have been looking to go for. I'm sure him and Edu would have sat down and, and discussed it. The thing is, three weeks ago, did Arsenal know that they weren't going to be in Europe next season? Probably not. Um, you know, a lot can change in football very, very quickly. I think, you know, people want to believe that the protests and, and all of that stuff has 
has resulted in KSE changing their stance. I'm not sure it has really. Um, and I'm not sure how much of an impact something like that actually has on, on as I said earlier on, a bunch of billionaires. But we'll see. Um, you know, we're going to have to wait and see and see if they put their money where their mouth is. That's the uh, that's the big thing that we're all waiting for this summer. Right. We're going to leave the podcast there. A big thanks uh, to Pet for joining me. Uh, brilliant views. Uh, brilliant. Um, brilliantly put across. So thank you very much, mate. Thank How can people coming, mate. keep up to date with your work and, and your podcast? Uh, so you can follow me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. I, I run the State of Play podcast with my colleagues, Matt and um, Martina. You can follow us at State of Play pod. And then I also contribute to the uh, Fresh Arsenal podcast. So go uh, check out all those things if you're interested. Brilliant stuff. Make sure you do head over there and check them out. Don't forget to hit the like button on your way out. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And we'll be back later on today looking ahead to a weekend in which Arsenal aren't playing. But it's still going to be fun. (laughs) Until next time, take care. Cheers, gents. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.